Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. you much. If you would take your Bible and turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11. Now, as the kids are leaving, we're going to need to see some hands here. I hope I see some hands here. Who in high school had to memorize the poem, Robert Frost poem, The Road Not Taken? Okay. Several did. Okay. I didn't have to do it, but I went to college with some people that did. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what did I miss out on? And I was so glad that I missed out on that back in uh, literature class. Do you remember the, the, that poem? I'm sure you read it if in high school literature, whether you had to memorize it or not. Uh, two roads diverged into a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood and looked down as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. And he goes on and on and on. But basically, he's at a fork in the road and he's trying to figure out which path he took. And here's the last. And I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood. And I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Robert Frost's purpose in writing that was basically to say, choose wisely. It's an old expression, but my dad used to always talk about people having a walk of life. He comes from a different walk of life. He comes from a different uh, walk of life. You know, life is often likened to a path, a journey. You get to forks in the road, and those forks are important. This job, that job. This city, that city. This spouse or someone else. Uh, Life is full of choices, decisions. And dare say that uh, depending on how well you choose will determine how well you live. It just just makes sense. Now, for us in this room, people that uh, are seeking to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to live life Jesus' way, we know that it's not just us looking down the road and saying, well, that looks better, this looks better, I think this will work out, I think that'll work out. No, we're there trying to figure out which way does Jesus want us to go. Does Jesus really want me to marry this person or does he want me to wait and see if something else comes along? Someone else comes along. Something else. Does Jesus want me to take this job or does he want me to take that job? Does he want me to move to this city or does he want me to move to that city? You know, it's not just our decision. It's Jesus' decision. And all of us, we would hopefully say that the quality of our life, the joy, the contentment, 
is going to be directly related to how well we choose what Jesus wants for our life. How closely we stay on the Jesus path. Now, I bring all that up today because I want to ask an interesting question. At least I think it's interesting. It's where I've been a lot lately. What do you do when you feel good about the Jesus path? You chose it. You look back on how you chose it. This job, this spouse, this city, this organization, whatever the decision was. You, you, you look back on it and you say, I did. I really did what Jesus wanted. I'm walking the path that Jesus picked out for me. And it ain't going so well. In fact, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of adversity. There's a lot of turmoil. There's potholes on the Jesus path. It's hard on the car. It's hard on the checkbook. It's hard on life. You know, sometimes you choose what Jesus wants. You start walking in the direction that he tells you to walk. And it ain't so good. People don't like you as much as they liked you when you were on the other path. Your money seems to shrink when you're on the Jesus path, whereas before it was growing on the other path. What do you do? Is there any encouragement for when the Jesus path turns into a rough, hard row? I think there is. And I think it's found in Matthew chapter 11. Now, let's just uh, catch up with where we are. We're looking at the book of Matthew. We're looking at how Matthew tells the story of Jesus. He tells the story of Jesus from uh, the perspective that Jesus is the king who came to institute a kingdom. And we're in that part of the story where essentially the people are vetting Jesus. You know, I've likened it a couple times to in a presidential campaign. It's like Jesus is trouncing through Iowa and New Hampshire, the two states that have the early primaries. And he's trying to get those folks to recognize that he's the king come to bring a kingdom. And they're checking him out. They're vetting him. But the thing that's kind of interesting is we've been doing this for a couple of weeks. We looked at chapter 8, we looked at chapters 8 and 9, we looked at chapter 10. And one of the things that's kind of apparent is it's not going so well. Rejection is on the horizon. The people reading Matthew's book for the first time, they knew that he ultimately ended up on a cross. But they could have read these last three chapters. We read these last three chapters. And it's obvious this guy's, this guy's not going to succeed. When he gets to Jerusalem, there isn't going to be a throne waiting for him. They may not know what is waiting for him, but they're pretty sure he's not going to be given the kingdom. So he, imagine being Jesus' followers. Imagine being those 12 guys that he drafted that we saw last week. Hey, go out and tell people to repent. Get ready. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Cast the demons out. Heal some people. Make some lame people walk. Do all the miracles you've seen me doing. I'll give you the power to do it. And they went out there and they did it. And they realized this guy's not flying so well. Sure, there's a bunch that like him. When he takes a lunch and makes it feed five, ten thousand people, that's pretty good. I mean, I wish, I wish our leaders could do with the economy what Jesus did with the economy, don't you? But they still weren't buying him. What we see in chapter 11 is they started to reject him. Now, what I'm going to do, we're, we're taking big steps, okay? And we're going to look real quickly at most of chapter 11 because there's two main things that happen here. The first one is we learn about John's imprisonment, John the Baptist. Remember, they imprisoned him because he preached against divorce. The king divorced his wife, married his brother's wife, and John the Baptist said, hey, that's not good. And the king did what kings can do. He threw him in prison. And John's been in prison being tortured. Well, in chapter 2, or chapter 11, verse 2, John hears about what Jesus is doing and he sees that, you know, hey, it's not going so well. And he's in prison and they're really torturing him and wearing him down. And look at this. This is real, this, you ought to take some comfort in this. You ought to take some comfort in this. Now, when John in prison heard the works that Jesus was doing, he sent words to his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one or shall we look for someone else? Now, just think about that. This is John the Baptist. This is the guy that was prophesied in Malachi 4, Malachi 3, Isaiah 40. I mean, this guy is huge. This guy's huge. And he's doubting. When I doubt, when you doubt, when life wears us out and we are running on empty spiritually, we're in good company. Okay? I know that's not the main point of the passage here, but I take a little comfort in it that if John the Baptist could have got worn out, it's okay sometimes that Richard gets worn out. It's okay that you get worn out sometime. But do what John did. Go ask Jesus. John sent some people and said, Hey, Jesus, what's the deal? You're the coming one, aren't you? And what does Jesus say? Verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John the things you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Hey, I'm doing all the works of the Messiah. Just hold your horses. You're going to see what happens. Assuming you live long enough, which John didn't, by the way. What does he do? He affirms him. Well, the rest of the passage goes on and, you know, you go to fellowshipbible.net and search the past sermons. Back in June, there was this incredible sermon preached on this very passage here. And I mean, I hope the server doesn't break down. It's getting so many downloads. But if you want to know what the rest of the passage says, I encourage you to go to that absolutely incredible four-part sermon on 
a sermon series on John the Baptist preached by yours truly, and you can hear all the rest of what this passage is all about. But here's the bottom line. Matthew brings all this up to tell us that things are not looking so good. Remember what we saw? Rejections on the horizon. How do you know? I mean, my goodness, they've imprisoned John and they're treating him so poorly that even John is starting to wonder if Jesus is really it. Things are not going well. Skip all the way over to verse 20. Like I said, we're taking really big steps here. Skip to verse 20, because what you see here is that Jesus himself is getting rejected. Look at verse 20. And it's kind of interesting. I, I, I don't know when Jesus said this. Did he just say this sitting around a campfire with the 12 disciples? Or did he say this at some other point? Was this part of a sermon? Uh, Luke tells us all about it, but he kind of has it in just this private conversation with his disciples. It's almost like maybe Matthew and the others heard Jesus just talking out loud to himself. He's sitting there just kind of musing about how things are going. Look what he says. Verse 20. Then he began to reproach the cities in which he had done miracles, in which most of his miracles were done, because they did not repent. Verse 21. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. I mean, my goodness, if the miracles that occurred, if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, two pagan Gentile towns, by the way, just outside the land, if the same miracles had appeared, had occurred in those two cities, which occurred in you, those pagan Gentiles would have pre- prevented, would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Those pagan Gentiles in Tyre and Sidon, they're going to get off easier than you. Chorazin, Bethsaida. Look at verse 23. And you, Capernaum. Capernaum had kind of become Jesus' unofficial headquarters there. He'd moved from you know, uh, Nazareth over to Capernaum. That's where many of his disciples were, were headquartered. That's where John's fishing business was out of and Peter's fishing business was out of. It's a pretty substantial city right there on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus did a lot of miracles in Capernaum. More than half of the miracles in Matthew occurred in Capernaum. And Jesus says, and you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You shall descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, Sodom, Sodom. I mean, Sodom is the, 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 the poster child for cities that God just came and wiped out because of their sin. 
If those miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have still been standing. It would remain to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Now, what's Jesus saying? He is saying, you know what, guys? And again, I, I, don't, I don't know the forum that he said it. I kind of get the impression he's just sitting around the, the campfire with them, talking with his closest associates. And he is saying, guys, Capernaum is going to regret this. Chorazin and Bethsaida, they are going to regret this. These people are hearing the gospel. These people are hearing the truth. And they're just blowing it off. The things they're able to hear now. Boy, if the people in Sodom had heard that, if the people in Tyre and Sidon had heard that, they would have repented. But these people have totally rejected. Kind of interesting just to apply it to today. I mean, today, people are rejecting the truth. Not because they don't know it, not because it's unavailable. My goodness, anyone that has a smartphone could have a hundred copies of the Bible at their disposal for free. There's websites that will go and tell you what the Bible means, just kind of help you explain it for free. I mean, you don't have to surf the channels much at all before you find some good preaching that will of someone that, that really is speaking for God, explaining it for free. I mean, we're not going into the ditch because people are starving for the truth. We're going into the ditch because people are rejecting the truth. They know the gospel and they're rejecting it. They know the truth of scripture in so many areas and they're rejecting it. Sure, there's a lot of ignorance out there, far more than there should be. But the truth of the matter is many people know what we believe and they just reject it. And it's just the same way in Jesus' day. Capernaum, Bethsaida, Chorazin, all the other hundred little villages of Galilee, that's the area he's working, they were seeing it and they were rejecting. So what has Matthew done? He, he, he said, you know, Jesus has been working this area for months. You guys have gone out and worked it for months. And it's not looking good for the campaign. I mean, look what they're doing to John. They drove him to doubt. Look what, look what they do personally to Jesus. When Jesus comes and heals someone, they're rejecting. Now, remember what I talked about at the beginning? I talked about how God has called us to walk the Jesus path. And hopefully that is your goal. That is your desire as a child of God, as, as someone who is called to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. When you get to the fork in the road, your desire should be, your goal should be to take the Jesus path. When you've got two jobs or you have another opportunity, 
You're not just sitting and saying, honey, what do you think? And, you know, these people pay the mess. They, they got good housing there. I think this could be great. You know, this will position me for a bigger this and bigger that. You know, all of those things you factor into them. But the thing you factor in most is, does Jesus want me to do this? Is this what God has called me to? And you and I, as people who are striving to be fully devoted followers of Christ, we're supposed to be saying, God, which path do you want me to take? There's two paths in the woods, as Robert Frost said. And whichever one I take is going to make all the difference. And if I choose based on my sight, I could really mess things up. If I choose based on Jesus' sight, things could go far better. So that's the goal. Well, these guys who Jesus is talking to, they said, we've done that. We're, We're all in. We're on the Jesus path. And what's happened? They're rejecting you and they're rejecting John. I mean, we're doing what God told us to do. I took the job that God wanted me to have. I married the person God wanted me to have. I started spending my money the way God wanted me to spend it. I bought the house that I really and truly believed God wanted me to have. I made this decision and went forward with it because my wife and I, we really prayed about this and we thought that's what God wanted me to do four years ago. And now look where things are. We took the Jesus path. And guess what? People are getting imprisoned and people are getting rejected. It's a rough road. You got any advice for me? You got any encouragement for us, me? That's where this passage is, okay? And you know what? The last five verses are gold. Because here's where the answers are. When you're on the Jesus path and it ain't going so well, not because Jesus is failing, but because there was a few bends in the road and Jesus didn't tell you that there's a whole bunch of potholes there. In fact, there's a whole bunch of enemies there. There's a whole bunch of thieves there that want to rob you and beat you up. There's a whole bunch of other things there that are going to try to make your life miserable. There's a whole bunch of obstacles there but you're still on the Jesus path. But here's two things to give you some encouragement along the Jesus path when it gets rough. First one is in verses 25 to 27. And the second one is in verses 28 through 30. From 25 to 27, it's like this is how Jesus responded to the situation. And you know what he responded, the way he responded? Jesus found comfort in God's sovereignty, in God's control. I mean, this thing looked like it was going bankrupt. This campaign wasn't going to make it out of Iowa or New Hampshire. People were not going to be accepting me, Jesus could have thought. And what did Jesus do? Did he turn to bitterness? Did he turn to anger? Did he turn to human reasoning? No. 
You know what he turned to? He went to the sovereignty of God. You know, it's kind of interesting. On Wednesday nights, we're doing that theological study. And one of the things we've talked about a lot the last two weeks is how Jesus was 100% God and at the same time, 100% human. And as 100% God, he didn't cease to be God. He didn't, his deity was not diminished, but Jesus intentionally self-limited himself. He was omnipresent, but he limited himself to just being right there. He was omniscient, which meant he knew everything, but he self-limited his omniscience and he didn't know everything. He didn't say, he said, I don't, I don't know when the father's going to send me. And you can see that over and over, but you know what? His humanity was a hundred percent. And so can you imagine being Jesus? I mean, I just, I, I, you know, just got to give this a lot more thought, but I mean, was Jesus surprised? I mean, I did this miracle, this miracle, this miracle, this miracle. And those people drove me out of town like I was some crook. They're in Capernaum. I mean, I preached one of the greatest sermons that ever could have been preached. And the people in Bethsaida, Bethsaida yawned at it and said, what else you got? I mean, the only time I get a crowd is when I take some little kids lunch and provide lunch for everyone or everyone from it. I mean, in Jesus's humanity, in a way, he had to be, I don't know, just a little bit wondering, John's the greatest guy in the Old Testament, and he's in jail. I'm doing miracles and preaching and healing and all this other stuff, and they're rejecting me. And so where did Jesus, the man, go? He went where you should go too. He went to God's sovereign control. He recognized that all of this was part of God's plan. Look at verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered. See, the word answered kind of implies that maybe someone said something. Maybe Peter said, uh, Jesus, has it occurred to you that this is not going well? I mean, do you think maybe we should reach out to some marketing agency and kind of come up with a different brand, you know, or, or tone it down or toughen it up or something, you know, more lunches made into, you know, full meals? What do you think we should do? And you know what Jesus answered and said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth that you did hide these things from the wise and intelligent and you're revealing them to the babies. I mean, he, he, he is sitting there saying, you know what? This is all part of God's plan. And somehow God, in his infinite wisdom, took the people that were wise and intelligent, basically just uh, the people who were self-righteous and had no needs, and they were oblivious to the truths that Jesus was teaching because they were going to reject them. And the simple at heart, the babes, they were getting it. They had come to him with faith like a child. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in your sight. 
All things have been handed over to me by the Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal it. You know what Jesus was doing? Jesus was looking at the situation and he gave all of the results to God. And he said, you know what? God's in charge. God is the one who is bringing people to me. God is the one that is leading people away. He was recognizing God's sovereign control over the hearts and minds of people. Now, you can sit and think about this and say, man, there's some philosophical things there to discuss. I mean, I thought we chose and, you know, you're talking about God choosing. And truth of the matter is both are there. And there's a lot of, bit of theology there to, to, to hammer out, but we're not looking at the other passages. We're looking at this passage, and Jesus is saying, you know what, Peter? If it was Peter that asked the question, he said, it's going exactly the way God wanted it to go. It's going exactly the way God wanted it to go. He is, he is fully standing on the sovereignty of God. And he is saying, we did all we were supposed to do. And Jesus really could say that. I say that a lot of times, but I, in the back of my head, I'm wondering, did I really do all I was supposed to do? But Jesus could say that. And here's the results that God has given. You know, we can ask this passage a whole bunch of questions, and that's fine to do, but don't ask so many questions or don't let those questions rob you of the truth. Here's the deal. There is a sovereign God that is watching out for you. And he has his hand on you. Your marriage is not out of God's knowledge. He knows exactly where it is. And in fact, he understands the dilemmas, the things you knew. Boy, if I'd have known this 12 years ago, I'd have run. But here's where I am. He knows exactly where your job is. He knows exactly where your health is. He knows exactly where your bank account is. And in you, when you have really been walking with Jesus and you've been on that path and you look back on it and say, the decision we made three or four years ago, that was God. So why are we in this mess? The answer is, I don't know, but God knew and I'm all in with God. And this isn't my problem. I am just here to exist in the sovereignty of God. You and I can be, can trust God so much because it is God who is in control. How all of that works with my decisions, your decisions, my sin, your sin, all those things, I don't know. But at this point, Jesus didn't choose to elaborate on it. Matthew didn't choose to elaborate on it. All he said is, you know what? Praise God for where you are. Have you done that? Praise God for where your health is. Praise God for where that relationship is. Praise God that you're not in it alone. Find comfort when the road is rough. Now, when you look back and say, man, the road is really rough. And honey, I think we, we, we did. We didn't take the Jesus path. Well, that's a sermon for another day. You need to back up and go the other way. You might need to sell that house. 
You might need to quit that job. You might need to back out of a relationship that could be backed out of if it's that kind of. But when you've walked with Jesus and it's rough, one of the things you should grab onto right now is say, he knows all about this and I am going to trust him. I mean, look at how he describes him there in verse 25. I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth. I mean, he's in charge. He's sovereign. You can sit and wrestle it away from him and sit and see if you can manipulate it. But you're not going to do any good with it. It's his. And you need to just sit back and do what's called you to do. And rest in his sovereignty. You know what else you need to do? The first one we get from Jesus's response to the situation. Second one we get from Jesus's invitation. Because look what he says. He says, I want you to find rest in the relationship I have with you. These are these verses. I know you've heard them, but they are so good. Verse 28, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. My yoke, it's easy. My load, it's light. Hopefully we all understand and remember what a yoke is. We didn't all grow up on farms or maybe paid that much attention to it, but a yoke was that that piece of equipment that took two ox and united them together so that they had to go in the same direction. And it's like if you needed two ox to carry the load because one ox couldn't do it, you'd use a yoke to get two ox to pull that cart to do that task. And Jesus said, partner with me. Take my yoke. Instead of trying to do it yourself, or instead of trying to do it with someone else, look at life and say, I'm in this with Jesus. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. He's not saying here, hey, there is rest here because I take everyone to the Caribbean for a week-long vacation, and we do nothing. I mean, plenty of work when you got a yoke on. He talks about carrying a load. He's not saying this is just an easy time of doing nothing. No, it's work. It's service. It's, it's actually working the marriage. It's actually working the job. It's actually working the situation. It's staying by the stuff and doing what he's called you to do. But he says, when you do it with me, when you yoke with me, guess what? It's easy. And it's light. It's easy and it's light. The easiest path to take is the Jesus path. Even with all the potholes, even with all the obstacles, 
when you walk with Christ and you partner with Christ and you link with Christ, that's actually easier than going out and trying to fix it yourself. That's what Jesus is saying. I bet every one of us, if we were to stop here and just have some honest sharing, I bet almost every one of us could tell about messing up something royal because we tried to fix it ourselves. And in reality, we were fixing it ourselves. We weren't doing what Jesus had called us to do. We weren't partnering with him. We thought all we needed was a one-on-one with the boss and let him really know what happened. We thought all we needed to do was just tell this spouse, here's the way things are going to be from now on. And we didn't partner with Jesus about that conversation at all. We looked at our bank account and, shoot, even Dave Ramsey thought we could afford it. And we did it. We just didn't ask the real CEO, Jesus, what he thought of that decision. You know what? The easiest path, the easiest path, the lightest load is the one walking with Jesus. But you know what? It never looks that way, does it? It never does. Satan is a master at having you stand there in those yellow woods and looking down this path and this path. And he is a master at making the path that you shouldn't take look awfully delicious. You know, I started with a poem and uh, I haven't used enough poems, so you're going to get two today. One night I dreamed a dream as I was walking along the beach with my Lord across the dark sky flashing flash scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. There was only one set of footprints at this one spot. Now, this really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you most, you would leave me. That's when he whispered to me, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never, ever during your trials and testing. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Now, here's the deal. When you walk with Jesus Christ, as tough as life is, that is still easier than the alternative. That load is lighter. Jesus said, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden. You know what? It's epidemic still. Most of us are very weary. Most of us are very tired. They say that coming out of the pandemic and all that stuff, 
just created such a difficulty for many, many people. Maybe you're one of them. I know there's times that Vicki and I were like, this is tough. Life is hard. It's busy. It's stressful. It's strenuous. We're weary. We're tired. And what does Jesus say to you? What does he say to me? What is he saying to all of us? He's saying, come unto me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. I just want to give you here a moment just by yourself to talk to the Lord. If there is a burden that you're feeling some way that you're weary. Man, yoke up with Jesus right now. Let him help you carry that load. Resist that temptation to take it all yourself. Shoot, he'll take it so much, it'll seem like your feet aren't even touching the ground. Father, I pray today that you would help each and every one of us to go to your son. I thank you that he invites us there. Sometimes following you, walking your path is hard. And I pray, Father, that not just in those hard times, but in every time, we would accept Jesus' invitation to come because we are weary. We're carrying heavy loads. And Father, I pray that today we would find that rest. In Jesus' name, amen.